Yeah, I think you're one. Yeah. Yeah, Rob is low. Well, he's looking a little low today. (laughs) (laughs) Ha ha. Well, it's better than me. I got a fever. Oh, Oh, no. Well, that's funny. That was just our topic of conversation not uh, not five minutes ago. No, Brian's talking about he needs more cowbell. Oh. <laughs> oh, I see. Don't you know? The crazy... Fr- oh, there. The fever's better. <laughs> this is the AT Banter Podcast. A balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. 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 Ooh, that was, Whoa, that was a nice hit. That was well struck. That it was. was. Mm-hmm. Uh, my name, of course, is Rob Minow. Joining me today, Mr. Ryan Flurry. Hello. Mr. Steve Barkley. Good day, sirs. And, and uh, some COVID-19 germs in the air in the house. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. I'm seriously like I I'm actually this week I'm gonna actually start prepping. Yeah, I'm gonna become a doomsday prepper. Oh yeah, yeah. Which nice. is all so far I've figured a bottled water and uh, a flat of something. <laughs> well, I figure that so far this virus has about a four percent fatality rate. I, I believe that's about what it is. Right. So that is one in twenty. I've got. Four family members, <laughs> which is way less than 20. So the odds of any of us dying from it is really slim. So I'm just going to go out to the airport and start licking surfaces. Yeah, but see, it would be one thing if you could get it and then you don't get it again. But like you said earlier, that people are getting it again. So it doesn't even help to get it first. Yeah, I'm not sure how... It, I, I, I'm not sure it's not really what, what the whole story is there. There was a news story out uh, that I, I read earlier that uh, said China is now re-quarantining people who have already had the virus because they are now testing positive for the virus again. So does that mean that they're still carrying around the virus and they're still transmissible despite having gone through the virus? Does Does it just mean that it's their immune system has dealt with it but it's still hanging around somehow or... Is it just hanging around, waiting to kill him later? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's it's very strange that that is not typical behavior for a virus that you've overcome. This is just a really bad time to be neurotic. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose it would be. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and all this because you know somebody decided, hey, that. That looks like it would go well in a soup. Oh, is that what happened? Well, they don't know exactly what happened. They they know that it originated, uh, the the epicenter of it was like a, a market where they sold exotic a- animals. Hmm. So whether one of those exotic animals was eaten and it right. transmitted or whether it transmitted another way, I don't know. Hmm. But they, they do know it came from an exotic animal sales place in Wuhan Prosmic province right well i don't know i don't know but it always pays to i guess be prepared but my problem is that you know i buy a flat of something and then like i don't know i'll be like okay i'm hungry i need some lunch yeah oh, so you, man so you i've got this home flat. until that flat's done I've got the whole flat of tomato soup really i mean i could probably just have one right one, <laughs> <laughs> and then next thing i know it's the, they're all gone damn it yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll see. We'll see what we'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, anything exciting happening in the eight world of AT that you guys know about? CSUN's coming up soon. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to going to the CSUN conference and hopefully seeing some new stuff. Connecting with some of my old peeps. Yeah. Is, was this the first time you've been back for a while? Did you go last? No, oh, you I went was there last year. Last year yeah. yeah. Okay. Hmm. 
Yeah, do you find that like you like see people that you know like what you know, like once a year, every year at that the thing? Yeah, 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 for sure. I definitely run into people I know there. Um, you you don't always get uh, treated to a whole lot of new stuff. You know, last year I thought it was kind of light as far as you know really new exciting stuff went, but. Mm-hmm. This year's going to be totally different. It's going to be just chock-a-block full of new things. Think so? I have no idea. Oh, okay. Well, I thought maybe you had some inside information. (laughs) No, everybody's uh, much more tight-lipped in this industry these days, you know. They they don't pre-announce products. They don't send out products to dealers to say, hey, you know, we want feedback on this. Really? Better than they did in the day. I wonder why. Like, what what do you think? What's what's the deal with that? I don't know. Everybody's just so concerned with secrecy and, Mm. you know, competition. We, we do have some news. Do we? If Steve wants to share. <gasps> What's that news? We have a new product in-house, do we not? We do. The Canute 360? Oh, yeah. Well, we got our first Canute 360s in, yeah. 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 And, Wait, uh, oh, have, really? Have you played with it? I have, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, I was going to bring one it? over for uh, for Ryan, but I uh, realized I got to ship it off to Edmonton today for the show I'm doing in Edmonton. Ed- blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I've got to ship it off to Edmonton today for the show I'm doing in Edmonton. But uh, uh, yeah, it it's uh, it's neat. It's uh, you know, it's the world's first commercial nine cell, forty character wide, nine line nine. Not nine cell. Did I say nine cell? Yeah. Sorry, nine nine line <laughs> nine cell. It's, it's it's nine cell. No, that would suck. Uh, yeah, nine nine line forty char- forty character long display for a total of three hundred and sixty. Right, Braille reader. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Think of it as a Braille Kindle. Yep. Load your book onto an SD card or USB stick, stick it in the thing, and away you go. Yeah. Be really effective for like textbooks. I mean, I think the education market is going to be sort of a big. I, I would think. I mean, just in terms of you know not having to ship around a bunch of mm-hmm. large braille volumes, I would think it would be pretty good. Yeah. You know, also you know just to reinforce braille reading skills, you know, to get people reading on a more consistent basis, I think it's good for that too. But interestingly, that we've sold uh, four of them, no, three of them so far, and there's a fourth lined up for it, but. Of those four, one is a student, and three are um, adults who just want them for reading. Wow, nice. Yeah. Oh. The other thing we've got in, too, of course, is the Braille Me. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, uh, we brought that in as well. So we now have the cheapest Braille display in Canada yep. at 750 bucks for a 20-cell, Bluetooth-capable, USB-capable Braille display. Um which is super nice. It's been very well received so far by everybody who's seen it. Yeah, the Braille on it's quite crisp. It's quite nice. Yeah, yeah. Even I can read it. Yeah, good. <laughs> I mean, it's a little louder than your average Braille display, yeah. but I mean, come on, 750 bucks versus, you know, yeah. how much would you pay for, you know, the next... next well, even a 14-cell Braille display is like 1500 bucks. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, half the price of a 14-cell. Of a yeah. And it's wider. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. 1-844-795-8324 <laughs> or visit us online at www.canastech.com. Insert shameless plug. <laughs> hey, this is look We just did a live read. This is, this is, we were trying to do live commercials. We might as well just do it. Let's just lean into it. That's right. <laughs> hey, we were going to do segments. Did we? No, we haven't figured any segments? of that out. We we talk, yeah, well, we, we can talk about that after. All right. But, um, hey, Ryan. Rob. Um, what are we doing today? Today we are talking with Jeff Godfrey from Y4U Technologies about an app um, related to indoor navigation they're working on, and Brian Bebo, who is beta testing for them. Cool. Mm-hmm. And you know one thing that Brian will want? Yep. Yeah, we know. More cowbell. Yep. All right, well, let's give it to him. <laughs> <laughs> Joining us now are Jeff Godfrey and Brian Bebo. Jeff and Brian, I want to introduce you all to Mr. Steve Barclay. Good day. And Mr. Rob Minot. Hello. (laughs) Rob just sounds so down. I do? Really? (laughs) Hello. Sorry. Hello. Hello. Yeah, perk it up there, Rob. Boy, oh boy. Uh, Yes, hello. Is that better? Sure. Okay. Fantastic. Fantastic. (laughs) 
<laughs> and so, yeah, guys, we have Brian Bebo joining us, who's a GTT member and also a tester for Mr. Jeff, who is joining us from Y4U Technologies. Thank you. Oh, cool. Hi, everyone. Why don't we start? Um, maybe you guys can just give us a little bit of background on, on who you are and um, what you guys are been, have been working on. Sure. Um, so I've been in software development for about 20 years. Um, but uh, this actually only came to me uh, maybe a year and a half ago. So I was working with a company that uh, does digital models for uh, architects. So the company is called Digital Blueprint. And um, as things came up in the news regarding like Bill C-81 and all the challenges going forward uh, and the changes the government are trying to implement, uh, indoor navigation really caught my attention um, from that architectural perspective. So we have all these 3D building information models. And uh, I was curious if it was being used at all um, for accessibility, since indoor navigation appears to be you know, one of the bigger problems that hasn't really been you know, solved at this point. Um, and as I searched more and more, uh, I found that beacons tended to be the dominant solution, um, and I didn't really see any other companies using building information models. So I started experimenting with, um, you know, building an app that would be able to read those digital blueprints and uh, bring them in, and then give navigation instructions based on that. So that's kind of what we're working on. Um, the biggest part of that is really the user interface and making it. Uh, simple for users and make it work with other assistive technologies. So things like uh, voice control and voiceover uh, took a little bit to get those things integrated properly. So it was working well. Um, and that's probably something Brian can speak about a little more than I can. But uh, that was kind of where we we're headed. And as we did that, we noticed that there were other issues that we could tackle. Things like customizing the app for the users specifically. So for individual users. Um, everyone has a bit of different needs and understands things differently. So we started adding a lot of customization options. Like um, if you asked me to, let's say, walk 10 meters consistently, I would have a difficult time doing it. Um, so I didn't expect any of the users to really be able to do that. So what we introduced were the ability to change distance measurements. So things like, um, yes, we can do steps in meters. They are options. However, we also added the option to do steps. So that makes it a little easier for the user to be able to count their steps. And also we have a setting where they can adjust uh, the amount of steps they take per meter, because that's one of the conversion units we use. And depending on your familiarity with a building um, or many other factors, uh, your gate may change. So it's kind of allowing the user to customize the app for their own personal use. Um, similarly with directions, we know that, you know, not everything comes natural to us. So we added the options for plain language. So if the user is good with left and right, then that is an option. And also, you know, clock face or a compass, if that's, if that's easier for them. Um, we also added degrees, but I don't really think many people will use that. That was more for, for precision. And, uh, so. Uh, it's an option, but not really something that will be common, commonly used, I don't think. Uh, we're just trying to figure out the options that will be easiest for users uh, at this point. Uh, so what is the process, Jeff? Like if you've got a, a 3D blueprint of you know the internal building layout, is there a library that the app accesses? Or like do you download maps onto your device? Like, so basically, we would get what's called a uh, point cloud from the company that collects the data. Uh, and from that, we kind of map it out ourselves. So part of that's manual and part of it's automated. Um, we find it's important to have a user kind of put themselves in the perspective of you know, the potential app users and go through the building. And we pick out specific features, obviously, um, and try and guide them through in that way. Um, but it's converting that into something that's usable uh, in an app, something you can carry with you, because those files are quite large when you get into some of those 3D models. 
Um, so it's a matter of, of scaling that down with both automated and compression algorithms, and then also having users verify that data and add the other information that's kind of missing. Um, can, can you give us a, a sense of what the, the user experience is like? So somebody walks into a building, um, what, what kind of information are they going to get? Right. So uh, when you walk into a building, um, we've actually put uh, signage at the entrances at this point. Um, that's our, our initial starting point, uh, which helps the user kind of calibrate their position to the map. Um, and then it would describe the area for you. There are a couple of other options for the users. So say you wanted, let's say, um, a direct path to from a main entrance or an entrance, because all the entrances are tagged, um, to, to another area. Well, there's the option for it to give you just turn-by-turn -turn directions. So it would be, um, you know, let's say walk, walk 10 steps forward, walk 20 steps to the right, walk 30 steps to the left, and you will arrive at your destination on the left. Um, something like that. But there's also the option if they want, let's call it more of a touring mode or mind mapping, uh, it will tell them everything they pass. So, um, you know, two steps ahead, there will be other interior doors which swing outward, um, go another five steps forward, and you will reach, um, say, the co-working offices on the right, and so on and so forth until you reach your destination. So there's a lot more steps to it like that if you're trying to, let's say, map or tour a building or even just learn the space. Yeah, if I may add to that, uh, of course, in North Bay right now, we only have the one building that's mapped out. But in that building, uh, the first time I went in, like I had it set to announce every room as I get to them. So it gave me an idea of the building and what was in there, and many places I didn't even know existed that were in there. But then after that, once I kind of knew I didn't need that information, I can just go at either entrances from the parking lot and then just select that as my starting point. And using voice control, which is now available on it with an earbud in, I'm able to navigate throughout the whole building and get to my destination with no problem. Uh, the furthest I've been away from the destination point so far in beta testing it was two feet away from a door That's because fantastic. I didn't calibrate myself quite exactly. But if I can't find a door two feet away from it, I'm in trouble. And, and of course, one time I it said, you have arrived at your destination on the left and I turned right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's user error not the, the app itself and like it's been extremely accurate to get around and uh, well there's other things that Jeff has uh, we've discussed and I don't know if he wants to hit on those today is basically to be able to uh, if you get lost in a building being able to f figure out where you're at and that is something that, that we are doing, actually, because now we've finally kind of opened our office in this space. Uh, uh, we actually just got our office space at the beginning of the month in the same building that we ended up mapping. Um, so we're, we're right now installing physical signage. So that's one thing we see as important. So say a user gets lost, um, you know, we want them to be able to find their position and to navigate to where they need to go. Um, I mean, when we talk about indoor navigation, it's not one problem. It's three different problems, really the way I see it anyway. And that's wayfinding, you know, navigation, and positioning. Um, so most of the solutions don't do all three, but they have, uh, you know, components of, of different ones. Yeah. And even with the descriptions of the rooms that you arrive at, that's another thing that I find helpful on the app. And of course, you know, if you got movable objects, they're not going to be mapped out in there because they can move all the time. But if you got a service desk that's there, it will tell you where the service desk is. When I went to the washroom, it told me, you know, the stalls are on the left, uh, urinals on the right, sink, uh, whatever. The only thing it didn't tell me is the paper towel holder. <laughs> we'll make sure we add that for you, Brian. <laughs> 
So this this base uh, 3D information that you guys start out with, how how common is it to have that information for a building? And, and I mean, presumably for older buildings, you wouldn't have this information. How, how long has that 3D mapping information been available? All right. So um, the technology has actually been around for years. I'd say at least a decade, if not longer. Um, it's called LIDAR. Uh, which is what we're using to do it, which is light detection and ranging. So if you think of it, it'd be like, um, you know, sonar or radar, uh, but with light beams. That's essentially it. Uh, and what it does is it's very highly accurate. Like um, some of the architectural models are down to like three millimeters. Uh, now, wow. obviously, we don't need that kind of intensity, but, um, you know, it, it's all possible with that, which makes it a, a multi-purpose technology as well. So you're asking about... Is this something that's commonly used? Uh, absolutely. I mean, architects are using it nowadays to get their building information models because it doesn't just do the space. It does other layers of things as well. So when you're doing, you know, let's say electrical runs or things like that. So the data is really useful, not just for accessibility, but for main architectural purposes, which is how it's currently being used. Um, a lot of new builds will have this information, which we can obviously just incorporate into our system instead of you know, gathering the data again. However, things like retrofits, uh, yes, are a lot more uh, challenging as in they wouldn't have the drawings typically, uh, or at least not ones in usable form. So they would need, the data would need to be collected, um, but it's typically not that costly uh, at the level that we need it for accessibility. What what's not that costly for say a, like a two three story building? Uh, okay, so generally we do things on square footage. Let's say so mm -hmm. to give you an idea, I'm in a, about a twenty five thousand square foot building, which is an old elementary school. That kind of gives you an idea, I think, of the size. Okay. Um, to collect that data is usually about let's say two to four thousand dollars, depending on the complexity of the building. That's not bad. Yeah, it's not bad at all. Yeah, and I was with him when he did uh, uh, the mapping with the LiDAR camera at uh, the CNIB hub in Sudbury. And I figured we were going to be there like for three or four hours. And all of a sudden he comes back about after 45 minutes. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> so some of the technology has come a lot way and it can be quite quick to uh, actually collect the data on site. That's true. So you, you basically just walk through with a camera and it, it maps it all out for you? Uh, it's not a camera. So the one that uh, Brian experienced was actually a tripod unit. So it sits there and it has to scan for a couple minutes depending on the intensity. And then you have to move it to new positions. And when you get back to the office, it kind of you process it and it meshes it all together. Uh, and that's what gives you the complete model. Um, we do have one, however, that uh, you actually walk through the building slowly and it's a LiDAR scanner um, kind of on, on a wad or on a wand, sorry. And uh, it will map out the whole building as you go or essentially build hmm. a 3D model. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, it is. I think, I think it's the way to go. Like, I mean, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. I don't, I think Beacon... You know, beacon technology is going to be used, but I, I I see beacon technology as being able to tell me what's in a store or whatever. I can't see it directing me all over the place. You know, I wanted to to sort of pick your brain about that a little bit, guys, um, because this sounds like you know an an amazing way sort of to to build that initial foundation but do you see cuz indoor navigation is is you're right is a complicated problem um you know especially with you know build spaces that aren't necessarily built architecturally to be accessible so indoor navigation is a really important component of of really making our our public spaces accessible um so that being said do you see um sort of the the complete solution being a collection of different technologies all sort of working together? Uh, I, I think definitely it's a collaboration. Like every technology kind of has its own own purpose, I would say. It's a matter of putting those puzzle pieces together. I think one of the things that holds back beacons um, is probably the price point. Like it's significantly you know, cheaper generally to, to do something like this right. and also to maintain it. Uh, most building owners don't necessarily want to be responsible for going around and maintaining, 
you know, batteries and different hardware, uh, which we don't need it for this type of solution. Um, but the beacons also have a lot of different benefits, like especially the positioning, which is, is you know, a strong case for them. Um, so uh, I think it's a matter of finding where each each piece fits. So I would say, yes, it's not necessarily, a, you know, this is the, the solution that we're going to go with. It's that uh, it's a piece, a piece that was missing. I think. I, I've just... Um... I've just signed up uh, Canadian Assistive to be a dealer for um, for the uh, NaviLens product. Is that is that something you're familiar with? Uh, yes, vaguely. Yeah, it, it, it as you were talking about this, and you were talking about you know positioning within buildings. It, it just it struck me that that's mm. a, a really solid technology. The the thing I like about NaviLens is is because they're using essentially what looks a lot like a QR code. Yes. Um, and utilizing the camera, it can give you distance information from that QR code as well as directional information to it. Um, but it doesn't have the problems that beacons have. There's no batteries. Um, right. You know, there, there's no um, there's no chance of overlap of, of beacons, which I've run into in the past with other beacon technologies. Um, it could be a really good um, internal locator for something like this. Absolutely. And yeah. I was talking actually to Jeff about this uh, last, last week, week, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, Nambulance. I was. Uh, I'm just actually going to be playing with Nambulance just to see if it can be integrated right in. And then right. you know, like if you need to know your location, uh, instead of having to try and find the the plaque beside the office and to right. find the room number or whatever you're looking for. Having an ambulance, it seems like to me, I haven't tried it yet exactly, so I can't speak to it, but it would seem that you, you'd you be able to just point your phone towards it and get get that information. Yeah, and, and you know, I've, I've just uh, received my uh, login information for a 10, uh, 10 location um, demo set. Um, if you guys want to play with it, um, just let me know. Absolutely. I mean, we're always looking at the, you know, integrating other technologies that, you know, uh, they've been yeah. working on this for a while and it looks like a fantastic technology. So absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's getting better and better now, like with GPS outside, uh, you know, a lot of the GPS apps have now a tab labeled indoor navigation. Mm -hmm. So if you can get yourself in there, then, you know, you have everything all in one place. Yeah, that's really kind of the dream, right? There's so many different systems out there now. You know, there's you know there's way around right here. You know, there's probably five, six different um, specific beacon technologies that are in use these days. Plus, you know, NaviLens, and you know, I'm sure there's there's other ones that I'm not thinking of off the top of yeah. my head. Uh, somehow, this all has to be pulled together. You can't have every building be a, a different a different, a different technology system. it's like get, exactly. to the, get to the front door and start uh, hunting around for signs saying what uh, what internal technology is being used for navigation and you know and not only that i mean as a user experience you know you can't expect somebody to be using one app to get to the mall a different app to get into the mall a different app to walk into walmart a different app to you know you you have yes. it has to it has to sort of be seamless in order to really be um, effective yeah and I mean you know even you know using a mall example um, you know there in terms of indoor navigation there's a lot of different um, uses that you need I mean yes you need to be able to identify like okay I want to go to Old Navy so I need to know the way to Old Navy but then you know you may need um, information about the bathrooms or information about the food court or there's a, or, or where the bus loop is I mean there's all kinds of different um, things that you may require that is going to require um, different a different data set. Absolutely, um, yeah, and I think it's a matter of you know working with APIs or either you know open models where you can kind of share that information between uh, organizations and different apps. Yeah, I mean, um, heck, you could even oh, sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead, sir. Well, no, I was just going to say, and and hey, I mean, you can even go down to real minutia and, and be like, yeah, and then you know you need information on what's on what shelf if you go into like where's the where's the men's section in old navy right. like where are the t-shirts like what's on this shelf um you know you can go real real specific 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's that's one of the nice things. If you have, let's say, uh, set positions of things, or at least uh, similar areas, and you have a, a digital solution where you can modify the information either remotely or online, th then it's easy enough to keep a system like this updated, especially right. if you integrate it into another system like your inventory management where you know it could tell everything where it is or tell people where everything is. Um, it's not like we don't do this for other purposes. And I feel like the, the the other really upside to this is that this also um, sort of has implications even like in the mainstream. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, you know, you think of well, yes. like, you know, mall directories and stuff like that. You know, you just people people need guidance no matter what. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Well, you have a sighted person going to a, a different town and they're going to the mall and oh, I wonder if this store is in this mall. And yep. you can just pull it up, bingo, it's there, and it gives you directions to it. Yep. So. I mean, and even things like language barriers. If you're sure. doing, you know, digital infrastructure, it's not a big deal to change signs to multiple languages digitally. Now, to put a sign with 50 different languages on it, that's a little more challenging. The other thing, like, a, a lot of people like is that you can simulate where you're going. So... Um, you don't actually need an internet connection once you download the map for the building. Uh, you know, you could be at home and simulate the route that you're going to take tomorrow so that you're aware of it before you even get to the building. Yeah, I can go in. Well, like I said, there's only the one building right now, but I I can sit right here in my house and, uh, you know, do a pre-trial of where I'm going the next day or in an hour from now and know exactly. And by the time I get there, I already know where I'm going without ever being there. So let me just throw this out to the room. How do we feel about beacons? Because it seems to me that this, the beacon technology has been around a long time, and it's never really caught on. Um, I know there was, there was a lot of excitement around beacons, uh, you know, even just, just marketing-wise. Um, mm -hmm. Stores were excited that you know, they could have these beacons in place and they could push notifications to people's phone to let them know about sales. There was all kinds of you know, beacons, 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 and that's always sort of heard for years. Um, but nothing really seemed to happen either in the mainstream or um, AT-related. And I'm just wondering, do you think that that's because of the cost factor or of the maintenance factor or, you know, like just the, the different spaces just didn't seem to really latch on to the idea of beacons. Yeah. I think there's, there's probably a number of different factors around there. The, the mainstream uptake of, of beacons has not been what I think, um, beacon manufacturers certainly hoped for. Um, you know, I've seen, um, uh, sim simulations demonstrations where you know you walk into a store and there's beacons involved in everything um, and, and cameras involved in everything so if you you know you walk up to a specific shelf you pick something up all of a sudden boom you're delivered a message saying hey this this uh, sweater is made with 100% merino wool <laughs> and uh, you know uh, it's on special today you know it the, the between the beacon and the camera technology, you can have a, a, a an experience in a store where you know there's displays on the walls that are tailoring information specifically to you and what you've looked at inside that store. Right. But to to maintain something like that um, would be a massive um, undertaking because right. as soon as you go and you move your product from that shelf to another shelf, you've got to update that system and have that experience for the user be meaningful. Right. Uh, which really either limits what you can do with, you know, moving your stuff around the store or, um, you know, puts in uh, a task that somebody has to be on top of all the time. Right. Um, I don't think your average retailer wants to take on that. Yeah. Um, you know, one, the expense and two, the, the maintenance of it. Right. So I think I think that in part is what's really held the beacon technology back to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if if there was some way to integrate AI into it so that that process was more automated, um, you might have more uptake of it. But I just don't see it being there yet. Well, I I haven't used beacons very much, but uh, I can see like beacon have their place. Well, let's say I'm downtown Toronto walking down the street and, you know, oh, there's a men's clothing store there. 
or whatever. Uh, that and what they have might be of interest to me, but I, I just can't see myself walking into a mall and having every store scream out sales at me. Right. Yeah, and I think that was a lot of the pushback that they they felt from consumers was just the people that it's just going to annoy the crap out of people. If you know you're getting notifications from your phone uh, every time you you know you walk by. Yeah. Um, so, but I mean, not to mention though, there you know there there is that high cost, and I mean, especially if you're if you're talking about even I'll say like a grocery store, we'll switch the example to to Safeway, or whatever. Um, you know, to have a beacon sort of in every section, um, you're talking about, you know, hundreds of beacons. And then not only is there a high cost of that, but it, it, that can also get confusing as a, as a user um, as they're walking by because these beacons could be in, in very close proximity to each other. And so it, it could just become a, a sort of noise. The thing I will add to this, though, is that maybe it could also be, though, that that the tech like I, I'm, I'm like I'm thinking specifically of smart glasses. If smart glasses become a mainstream device, sort of like smartphones did, mm -hmm. if that's sort of the next phase, maybe some of this might change because it, it would mean that the, the delivery system, instead of using your phone, it would be delivered right to say your something like a pair of smart glasses. Um, which again, that, that would have both AT and mainstream potential, right? Because you could have that, having all that information being fed to you automatically through something like a pair of smart glasses that have speakers built right into the arms of the, of the glasses. I mean, I, I think the the lesson to be taken, taken from this is that doing, doing things digitally is really the most effective way to do all this because it gives you the most flexibility for the lowest cost. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like, I wear a Bose, Bose frame, which have the speakers in the, uh, in the arms. And like with this app, with the Accessibuild, I'm able to, you know, just turn on voice control and walk through the building and don't have to have the phone in my hand. I can have it in my pocket. And I, you know, have, once I reach uh, one of my destinations, you know, like it says, walk 10 feet, uh, then turn right and then I walk my 10 feet and I just say out loud swipe right and it gives me my next instruction and etc hmm. etc et right through the building without having to take the phone out of my pocket and also like with if if we had beacon technologies all in every store in the mall uh, my my bows would go dead before I get to the next <laughs> next aisle right so it's uh you know there there is a i see a place for beacon technology for people to advertise their store and things like that but i just i can't see it as being i don't know useful to me uh as far as navigating that mall right um let me ask you this then so are you surprised that, because I, I haven't heard of anybody else using this particular uh, technology or, or having this particular idea to solve the, the problem of indoor navigation. Um, is there anybody else working on this or are you guys it? Um, I've, I've found some, it looks like they're integrating it, but I haven't really had a, a confirmation whether they're actually using it or not. It seems like they're still using beacons with the technology and it looks like more or less a full beacon setup. So, I mean, people are using it maybe for verification, but I don't think they're actually implementing it in uh, the way that we are at this time. And now how far, how far into the development process are you guys? Uh, well, we have a fully functional app and you know our main building is mapped out. We're actually just taking it to the next level right now. Um, so we're kind of, uh, we finished the proof of concept and we're at the commercialization stage where the next thing we're looking for is um, new types of buildings because the one thing is uh, you learn new features from every different type of building um, you know doing a school to doing a mall to doing a transit station uh, to doing city hall is all very different so we're now approaching new buildings to uh, get this technology set up and to do some additional testing 
So, and I think I think with Bill C eighty one that came out last year, uh, I think that's the first place to really nail down is uh, Government of Canada buildings. Yep. Yep, we all know true. how big, especially in Ottawa, I mean, they're huge, massive. You get lost just going in the front door. Yep. So, you know, if if our government is actually bound and determined to work out the flaws in Bill C-81, I think this would be a great starting point for them yep. and provincial governments. And then I can see the regular public like shopping malls, private businesses, jumping into it, but you, you need to have the the basic framework of the government backing it up. Uh, the nice thing about most government buildings is because they've already mandated braille signs and things like that, we can use their existing infrastructure. So we'll integrate their signs into the system so that we don't have right. to put up new signage or anything like that. Yeah, so that, That's what's nice about what already exists out there. So are there costs to the end user? Is there a subscription model? Because there has to be costs for you guys to go in and map these right. buildings. And So the cost is really to the, the building owner. Um, we have a charge for kind of mapping the building and then processing it and putting it into the application. Um, but uh, the app is free to the user, to the end user. Excellent. And you can get it on the App Store now? That's true. Uh, it's called Accessibuild, and if you just search for it, it'll pop up on the App Store. Uh, so you can go and have a quick peek at the, the building that's been done. You can visit a Y for You Technologies office if you want. <laughs> <laughs> but this is exciting because this is actually, it seems to me, like a, a very logical, cost-effective solution to the to the real problem of of accessible spaces. Um, I mean, uh, every time I walk through the mall, I just think, you know, what am I doing at a mall? <laughs> but why am I here? Uh, but. Yeah, I mean, there. I mean, there's no braille signage. If, if you know, for for somebody who's visually impaired, they're not going to know where the bathrooms are. Like, you know, you're not going to know Old Navy. There's no way to navigate this space, um, and there doesn't seem to be any movement. Well, even if there was accessible signage, you know, as a blind person, I wouldn't even know it's there anyway. That's yeah, you true. Have to go find it. Yeah. Yeah, you have to find it, and I mean, with this app you've got it on your phone yeah and how many times have i been to the mall where a new store has opened and i don't even know that it's been open and there until somebody actually mm -hmm. says to me oh that store opened and it's got some great deals for you oh well that's good to know let's go yeah sorry we've no, actually added sign position into the latest app i don't think brian has tried it yet but it'll tell you where the sign is located because there's no real standard within buildings, right? Could be left, could be right, could be on the door. So, so just out of curiosity, and like, so what's the process of actually filling in the information? Because you've got the, you know, you you've got basically a, a 3D model once you've finished mapping it. But in terms of like saying that, okay, well, this space is this, and this space is that, and this is the doorway to there. Is that a, is that a manual process that you guys go in, or does the the building owners do that, or how does that work? Uh, it depends on which information is available, really. A lot of the building owners do have like an index of um, different tenants or, you know, different areas. Uh, so a lot of the information does come from the building owner. Some of it is uh, verification on our part. Um, so it's kind of a collaboration between us and the building owners because there's also the element of, uh, you know, the building owner potentially controlling the flow of their building. So, for example, we're in a, we're in a co-working building, so it's a lot of, uh, shared spaces in a repurposed school with different offices of all sorts of types. And, you know, some want you to go to the main desk, some want you to go wait in, you know, we have a shared cafe or things like that. So they're able to give those directions as well to control the flow. Um, so it, it is important to work with building owners, I guess. That's what I want to say here. Right. Yeah. And when Jeff says us, he means him. He's the one who does all the, the mapping and all that. All I do is the beta testing. <laughs> <laughs> and, send, and send me updates. <laughs> and demand well, work. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's different things that over the, the testing of the first building, 
we, you know, there was a lot of back and forth between Jeff and I on, well, maybe this should be this way instead of that way and back and forth. So, and I think the app now is at the point where it's, yeah, it's easy to use and you can set it to whatever you want. Now, do the building owners have some sort of control over say the the map markings um like do they have a back end or something they can go into to if they need to alter some of the information if they have a store that one store moved from here to there um how does that all work or do they just basically go to you and just say hey we need some of the, some information uh amended currently yeah i'm changing the maps uh but my intention is actually to develop a, an administrative interface for for building owners if they're interested excellent yeah the building he's in now i'm sure there's probably uh, a lot of businesses come in for a month or two and then move on and another one comes in. So, I mean, if the building owner is able to just change the name, that would be, you know, there's no cost involved. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's the, that's the wonderful thing about digital. Uh, you know, it's really mm -hmm. easy to be, to be really flexible in terms of any changes that could come down the line. Yeah, because I mean, that, that's one of the issues that we encounter that will either make or break a technology like this, and that's to have up-to-date information, yep. right? If the information's bad, it's worse than not having anything there at all. Yep, exactly. Going to be and going into Old Navy and thinking it's the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Like Old Navy. Sir. <laughs> sir. <laughs> Sorry, I shop at Old Navy. <laughs> it's one of these, it's one of these stores that... <laughs> That top and of mind. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which I need to stock up on with this whole coronavirus thing. But... That's great. Uh, there's a shortage in Canada of it because oh. of the rail strikes. Oh, oh damn. That's right. I hope not. <laughs> You'll have to go to KD. Well, that's not a bad. That's not a bad thing either. It's a little bit more complicated. Anyways, Steve's rolling his eyes. He's shocked. So, uh, Jeff, how big is your team? Uh, currently, I. Uh, it's myself, a project manager, and we have two uh, part-time employees. Okay, so what, I guess, what is your next step? You've got your building done. You're hoping for this whole C81 federal buildings who have the right to exempt themselves from everything. Right. Um, you know, what, what's, what's kind of your next plan, your, your next so, process? I mean, the way I see this going, uh, I think the place it'd be most beneficial is uh, employment and education. I think mm -hmm. it, it's common knowledge that, I mean, that high unemployment rates versus uh, for visually impaired people, uh, which, I mean, is really a waste of, of a, a big talent pool. Yep. And I think being able to get them into buildings with, you know, a minimal cost and, you know, low maintenance for the building owners um, would be a big, a big benefit. Um, and then on the educational side, same idea, right? And making universities and, and colleges accessible. So right. Uh, later on, they can be integrated into the workforce the same way. Because um, uh, I, I think we really need to tap into that talent pool. There's all this information about a lack of skilled workers. And here we have a bunch, you know, that uh, are available, but we just need to add a few uh, you know, technological solutions uh, yeah. to make it easier to integrate. So right now, you know, I'm approaching, you know, cities, uh, educational institutions, um, transits, things like that to try and try and incorporate this and to build better models so that we can, you know, enhance our mapping technology. Um, so that, that's kind of my focus right now. It's really on improving the product um, and expanding to, you know, other building types. Yeah, even the call like at the launch, the uh, college slash university here in North Bay were there and I was talking with the people from them and they, they said, this is great. I mean, if we had that in our building and even if it attracted only five or six students to our location, uh, it would pay for itself. Yep. And, yeah, I think that's the point. There's a good business case for it. We know that, you know, we have a lot of great solutions uh, for feel good stories, but they're really expensive to implement. And so it just won't be done at a scale that matters. Right. Right. If this is the only building that's that's accessibility enabled, then it's a nice story, but it's not particularly useful to people. Um, I think when you start having 10 buildings in North Bay or, 
you know, buildings in 10 buildings in other areas and you start actually opening up uh, the world to a certain extent, that's when you're going to actually start uh, having an impact. Yeah. And I mean, there's, you know, there's many companies that I know of in Canada that have been looking for indoor navigation. And I mean, as long as they get the word now about this and if they're interested, well, they know who to contact. And so I think what we need to do is tell everybody in our audience to go out and buy a LiDAR camera and start mapping buildings. There you go. And send you all the information. Why not? Crowdsource. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, certainly. I mean, that, that and that actually is a, a, actually a good point. Um, and it, is that something that that you could see being able to implement into the system is some sort of crowdsourcing information, or does that just make it too messy? Uh, well, I mean... Uh, we do intend to open it up to other data collectors in different areas. So uh, it's just that there has to be a standard so mm -hmm. that we have right. accuracy and things right, like right. that. But no, I think that opening it up would be a, a, a good thing to do. That's, oh yeah, because you can't like, be I don't want yourself. Yeah, yeah. I don't no, want to exactly. be. Yeah, I don't want to be using Accessible and North Bay, and then all of a sudden I go to Toronto and it's Toronto build and Ottawa is right. Ottawa build. I want it all in one app sort of like what we have for transit move it you know we, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter where you are right you it it knows you're in ottawa it gives you ottawa transit all right well why don't you tell us uh where can people find the app where can people go to to learn from more information sure. anything like that uh so the app is available on the app store um currently it's only for ios i'm just working on the uh, bringing the Android version around now. Um, so that should be available within the next month or so. Um, and our website is accessibuild.ca. So access I build essentially. Excellent. All right. Well, guys, listen, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming out and hanging out for a little bit and telling us all about it. And look at that. I can make my next Zoom meeting. <laughs> Thanks very much. That's for worth a right. bell right there. Thanks so much, Jeff, for your time, and Brian, you as well. No problem. All right, guys. All right. Have a good rest of your day. All right. You too. Thanks. All right. Take bye -bye. care. Bye. Bye. Well, as Rick would say, that's slicker and goose poop on a door handle. <laughs> yeah, that makes me really wonder why somebody wasn't thinking of that a long time ago <laughs> we, we get that a lot <laughs> um i mean i didn't had no idea that you could map a building like that like that's i mean obviously that technology has been around for a while but like that just seems like the logical thing to do build a 3d model of of a space and then you can you can fill out the map any way you want yeah well, like he was saying, you know, a lot of these buildings already have the architectural drawings, right? So you already know the layouts of where the washrooms are and, but, and everything but, else. But so. even if you don't, you yeah. go in, you, it takes Start 45 minutes, and, you go in yeah. with your with your scanner and kaboom. Yeah. yeah, think of the art galleries, museums, you know, the potential is limitless. We just need the people, we need the people and the data to do it. And indoor navigation is, you know, is being such a, a tough nut to crack. Um and I don't know, I just, Beacons, Beacons just hasn't seemed to be the right solution for it, it seems. I think the, the cost is just too much for a lot of spaces. They don't... Cost, cost and maintenance, mm -hmm. I think, are the big, the big issues with Beacons, for sure. Yeah. There, I mean, there are some very cool Beacon technologies that, that are out there that could potentially be used, but somebody's got to pony up the money for them. Right. Well, and somebody's got to be maintaining them, updating them. You know, if anything changes, that all has to be serviced, right? Yeah. Something like this, you're, you're drawing, chances are the bathrooms aren't going to change in a building layout. You know, the staircase right. isn't going to change locations. Right. Um, you, you've got a lot more static information, which is going to be way more useful. And nobody has to worry about maintaining it. You know, you don't need the, the staff. No, um, you know, and especially if there's they 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 end up making some sort of an administrative portal that that mm -hmm. back end for for building owners to just go in and be like, oh, okay, this is this has changed, that's changed, and yeah. and away they go. It's it's a you know it's a ten minute thing as opposed to beacon technology where you have to go, you have to reprogram the beacon or move yeah. the beacon or 
Like think of the mall, you know, like the food court ain't going to move. The That's bathrooms right. aren't going to move. Well, actually, you know. in Lougheed Mall, it did. Oh, well, did it? Yeah, yeah, but they renovated the entire mall. <laughs> yeah, it did. That's true. All right, never mind. <laughs> but, but no, I mean, and it is frustrating. It's frustrating to go into public spaces and look around. Um, I mean, you know, if any people who are, who are sighted listening to this, you know, just go into your average mall and think about, like, how you would navigate this if, if you were, were blind. I mean, you just, the, generally, there's just, there's no good good solution. Indoor navigation is something that we have the technology for. Um, it, it just, it needs to happen. Even with beacon technology, though, like, you know, let's say GPS gets me to the door, and then the beacons are, are guiding me to a certain location. The beacon isn't going to tell me that there's a great big flower planter in the center of where I'm walking, you know, in 30 feet, boom, you know, I kick the plant or I kick a bench or I kick a table. The beacon's not going to tell me that stuff's there. It's not going to tell me about obstacles along the route. Yeah, that's true. That's very true too. Right. On the bright side, it's not going to giggle at you. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Well, this is interesting. I really hope that this takes off. Um, it sounds promising. It certainly does. Sounds yeah, this very... sounds a lot more promising than I mean, uh, like and Navalens too. I mean, Navalens is a great product. It's a great idea, but I think I feel like Navalens lends itself a little bit more to like larger spaces, like a transit system, maybe an airport. I don't I, like. Well, I like the I like the idea of the marriage of the two. Because yeah, the with the with the mapping technology, it gets you the building layout. And then all you really need are some key points right. around that building as reference points, yeah. which could minimize the use of the Navalens codes and, um, you know, maximize yeah. the use of the, of the spatial information. Yeah. I mean, just think of how seamless of an experience it could be if you had, say, something like a wearable, like a smart glasses, let's say. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you, you, you get to, to, the, to the door and then, you know, you have the building layout through this system. And then you've also got Navalens built in there to directing you like to certain shelves or, you know, a certain, yeah, I mean, yeah. Or to tell you that the door is, you know, two feet to the right. To the right, yeah. Well, and it could even be, you know, kind of like Microsoft Soundscape. It could be, you know, sound located or whatever the terminology is. You turn your head to the left, you're hearing the points of interest on your left. Hmm. You know, if you're walking down the street, you actually hear Old Navy on your right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it can give you point of reference information as you're walking your route. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I, I really think the best solution is just going to be marrying a bunch of different ideas together into one app. Yeah. But somehow all this has to coalesce. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the, that's the real tricky part. But yeah, I guess we'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, we'll have to check back with him and kind of see where things are at. Should get T-shirts made up. That's our that's our catchphrase on the back. It just says, "Well, we'll see what happens." <laughs> <laughs> Seem to say that a lot. Speaking of T-shirts, yeah, or in this case, hockey jerseys, mm-hmm. yeah, we've got four extra hockey jerseys up there or down there somewhere. Oh yeah, right. And uh, we we talked a little bit about doing a giveaway. Yeah. Do we want to give one of them away this episode? How would we do that? There's only the three of us here. How do we do? How do we do it, Steve? Well, I think we just randomly pick one of those four jerseys, uh-huh. and we say who wants it, and people can say I want it, and if we get more than one person who says <laughs> I want it, then we'll randomly draw a name from a hat. Draw a name from a hat. Okay, there you go, people. Does that work? That works. <laughs> okay, so look at that. What a contest! We just came up with it on the fly, too. All right, so so, so we're going to give away. Let, let's let's do it in reverse order here. We're going to give away our number four hockey jersey. Okay. This is a custom AT banter hockey jersey. Number four, Rick Chance jersey. Says on the back, chant, big number four, on the front, AT Banter. Who would like that hockey jersey? If you're interested, email us at cowbell at atbanter.com. And if you want to improve your chances, send $20 to Robin Uh All right, well, there you go. Look at that, our first contest. 
Woohoo. So those people who hung in for the end of the show are in for a treat. Your chances just dramatically right. increased because everybody else probably everybody bailed. Else dropped off. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that's over. Yeah. You don't need to listen to their damn summary. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ari, everything that we want to say about that? I think that's that. All right. Well, then, hey, Ryan. Rob. Where can people find us? ATBanter.com. They can also drop us an email, as we just mentioned, cowbell at ATBanter.com. And we're all over that social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. That's about it. That's right. Um, I guess that's going to about do it. For us this week? I guess that will. I guess we'll see what happens next week. Stay tuned. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening in. Big thanks to Brian and Jeff. And we'll see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com. Or call us toll free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Whoa, look at that. Master of the one take.